Hey everybody, what's up? It is Tuesday, January 26th, 2021, and you're listening to a new episode of What's Up with Danny. Uh, today's guests are none other than the infamous duo Alex and Johnny Janice. Uh, you may know them as members of the band Little American Champ, who are now currently members of the band Absolute Future. Um, this is a fun one for me. I hadn't talked to these guys in a few years, honestly. Um, you know, maybe here and there via social media, but nothing like in person or as in person as a Zoom call can be. But um, this was a great episode for me, and I hope it's great for you as well. It should be if you're a fan of this podcast. You should enjoy it. Um, yeah, I've known them for a while. Uh, our bands used to play together all the time. Back when I was in the band It's a Secret, um, our bands played constantly together. And we talk about that a lot in the episode. Uh, we talk a little bit about them and how they write songs together, uh, what got them into music, uh, Little American Champ, uh, the highlights or memories of being in that band for them, uh, their new record that they've been writing with Absolute Future, uh, what life is like out in Oregon uh, for, for them. Uh, it's a great episode. Great to catch up with them. Uh, love those guys and had, had, could not have had more fun. Um, yeah, so this episode is, is part of season three, and I've got a few more guests lined up to be interviewed in the, in the next few weeks, so it might be a little bit before the next episode gets posted, but... I've uh, got some exciting ones uh, coming up or set up that I'm excited to post and interview these people. Uh, I think you guys will be excited. Or I hope you guys are excited. I don't know what you guys are excited about, uh, but hopefully it's exciting new episodes of this podcast. Uh, yeah. Anywho, uh, email daddy.bruick.shows, gmail.com, comments, uh questions, suggestions. I, I'm looking for suggestions uh, for guests on the podcast. So if you're hearing this right now and you have, you know, oh, you know who would be really great on this? Oh, this person or, oh yeah, that person or, oh, I should, I should, uh, you know, connect this person with them. Maybe, maybe they'll be good on the podcast, you know, uh, do that. shows at gmail. I'm open to any suggestions. I'm looking for fun and interesting and inspiring people to uh to come on and talk about themselves i would i would love that uh make sure you rate review subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts uh five stars only um i want people to think this is a really good podcast and it is i'm not saying that like i think it's a bad podcast i think it's good i believe in the work that i do and uh, I'm very proud of it, so I hope you are too. But if you're not and you think it's not worthy of five stars, don't even bother. Don't do it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, listen to Hexing. Listen to Tim. Listen to Absolute Future. They have a new record coming out. I have heard it. I have gotten the exclusive, not to brag or anything, but I'm pretty tight with the band. So I uh, have heard it. It's fantastic. Wouldn't expect anything less from those guys. Um, it's very good. Be sure to look out for that. It will be on the internet, streaming services, um, record players, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what their plans are press-wise, but uh, yeah. But anyways, enjoy this episode and have a great week. Well, I am going to start then. You should see something pop up that says okay. it's recording.
I don't know if you do. I have it. So it oh, okay. Yeah, I see it in the upper left-hand corner. I see. Cool. Audio sounds good. We're sounding crisp, clean. Oh yeah. Well, all right. I already. I think I already said this, but now that we're actually being recorded, I have to say it again. Uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, the being on the podcast. I have been looking forward to this because I haven't talked to you guys in. I don't even know how long. It's at least like what? What? Like three years or so? Yeah. Maybe longer than that. Yeah, it's been a while. How is how is life in Oregon treating you guys? Good. I, I, it's uh, yeah, it's been wonderful so far. I have to say, like uh, just getting out, uh, uh, living in a new place. Like um, I had lived in Michigan for a really long time. Basically, my family is originally from California. Then we moved to Michigan, and I've been living there since I was five years old. So basically, that's kind of all both of us either knew. So. Uh, it's been a really, really nice to like kind of see a new place and like live on the West Coast and everything. And um, our parents also moved out to Arizona. So it's kind of convenient to it's, it's not that long of a flight to go down and visit them down there. So uh, yeah, it's been nice. And it's uh, definitely been in fun, enjoyable. Um, it's less enjoyable when everyone has Coronavirus and is locked inside. But you know, at that at that um, stroke, it's been cool. Yeah, no, it was not a part of the because uh, yeah, I came out here about like oh about like eight months or so before Al. Um, my girlfriend at the time um, moved out here, and I was kind of following her out. And um, you know, it was not originally part of the plan for um, the brothers to be reunited here in Portland. You know, Alex was going to do his thing in Arizona, you know, where our parents live. But um, I just kept talking about like how cool it was living here and how much I loved it. So he eventually started applying for jobs and he found one and then he ended up moving up here. So the bros reunite. Hell yeah. What do you notice any like similarities or subtle differences in the way that like Oregon is in comparison to Lansing? Yeah, a lot of differences. Yeah. Like it's just you're in more of like an urban area. Like maybe things are a little more upscale, a little more stylish. Definitely more boutique. Yeah, but if you this, couldn't imagine, it's yeah. not the same. No, and Michigan at the same time, way. people are always throwing up. That's the one thing I've certainly noticed out here. People are way more like, uh, uh, you know, kind of like outwardly conscious, you know, so they want to look, go around and like, they want to like look cool or something like that. I feel like there's, there's that anywhere you go, but it's, it's in Michigan, you can maybe get a little more authenticity, like, especially like Lansing, when you're going up to like a quality dairy or something like that, you know, you're seeing some pretty unpretentious people. So um, I would certainly say like the people and how they carry themselves is like, definitely a lot more like, Hey, look at me out here. But um, the city itself in terms of like the food and drink and uh, sights to see, especially it's uh, it's awesome in that respect. So it more yeah. than makes up for it. No, the livability, I think, the, yeah, my main draw here is like the livability of this, um, this place and uh, uh, the scenery and everything is great. Um, yeah, with the people like it's cool too. like, we've, uh, you know, we got to check out the music scene a little bit before um, COVID hit. That's kind of a whole other ball of wax that we can probably get into later. But um, people seem like also like weirdly more introverted here, if that makes any sense at all. And I think maybe that yeah. might be run counter to what a lot of people expect the West Coast. I don't know. There's not as many like waivers, you know, when you're like driving. Yeah. 
and you're driving through your neighborhood, Dan, and you yeah. just wave, right? You don't know who that is, you know, but you wave, you know, it's mm -hmm. a friendly thing. Mm -hmm. A little bit more people more keep to themselves here. So it's a little more stern. Yeah. More, Alex, like I said, maybe it's the pretentiousness. I don't know. It's but. kind of like uh like Oregon is like one of those places that's like um like everybody's from somewhere else, you know. <laughs> um, and a lot of people are moving there. And I and I read some that there's some like social scientists that think that when people you have a place place with a big influx of people that are moving in or not originally from the area, they tend to be less um, outgoing and kind of less, at least externally kind of friendly. And I'm just like, Meh. maybe there's something to that, but we wave. It's not us. It's not us Michiganders. It's you're the others. You're the you others any, moving. You're in. a waiver. Oh, you wave. Yeah, waiver, yeah. peace sign, this one of these here and there. Even the, like, even a subtle nod, like, you know, the, uh, like, like, you know, it just me, you know, I see you. You know, I see you, you are present, you are alive. Yeah, you wanna acknowledge like somebody's humanity kind of deal, which also on that, you know, I see people doing like the double peace sign or whatever, and people have been doing that for at least two or three years where it got big or like a peace, like kind of thing, like, whoa, no, like, peace. yeah. Danny Bruick, I see does yeah, peace. No, cause you're big right. on this. When did the peace, peace symbol make a comeback? Did you notice yourself at a certain point in time making the peace symbol more did you feel like that was from certain things you saw in media or were you always kind of a peace sign guy and then a lot of people are just kind of getting on your bandwagon you know i do think about that sometimes a lot especially <laughs> with this gesture like the hair. that's good that's west coast right there dude i i went through a period cool. of like two years where i was doing this look at people might not hear it on the pod but we're doing that thing where you curl your like three longest fingers together and you do the mm -hmm. hang loose thing people yeah, know the hang it's loose like thing. surf Let's go surfing. <laughs> Surf's up. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I guess I just started doing it. I really have no idea why. Like I like uh, another thing that's kind of weird. Lately, I when something good happens, I've been saying bitchin' for some. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. cool. Yeah, and I don't know bitchin'. where it came from. I just started saying it, and it, it's one of those things where I guess maybe I heard it one day without realizing I heard it. And then I yeah, yeah like bitching is like also like gender neutral in a certain way too. Like it's just it's just like it's just bitching. You yeah, know? it's no, no, like no, no. awesome. You know, yeah, so, it's totally my lady's been bitching. It's totally different. Yeah. It's totally different. There's a difference between bitching and bitching. You know, Whoa. there's massive, massive difference. But yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I don't know where the this came from doing the piece. I think probably just it's been fed to me my whole life and then it just hit a certain point where I just started I did it one day and it worked someone thought it said something or was did it back yeah we just need a slideshow of you of like every time holding the peace sign like different peace and it's just like Danny loves peace, <laughs> no, peace. <laughs> I'm picturing it as one of those uh videos they have for the Facebook like when you when you have a friend like the day you became friends on Facebook and you get that video I'm picturing it like that, but just like yes. in and out of really bad animation. Yeah, I think that precisely. A lot of slow fades and like slow pans and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah, that's interesting. Do you think it's because like when I I assume you know like the Midwestern mentality, the you know Midwestern people are supposed to be a little more friendly and outgoing and you know helpful and. Do you think that changes like people get a chance to create a new persona when they move to a different location like they kind of fade away from yeah, yeah. No, i totally think they did yeah and there's a big appeal in terms of like and this is something that i kind of liked was like moving to a different area and having like nobody know you 
or anything. There are no, like, nobody knows you by anything or for anything. And kind of, you can, you know, kind of create your own persona, if you will, you know, and I think there's a lot of healthy ways. It's not necessarily like, I think a negative thing when sometimes people do that. I think sometimes maybe they can feel like a little constrained in their hometown or that, you know, people have a certain impression of them. They can't break out of it or whatever, but I think certainly moving to a new place offers someone an opportunity. I think that, um, I think that's kind of part of the reason why I moved to Danny was like, I was sort of ready for a change. You know, I've been living, you know, in Michigan my whole life at that point. And I love Michigan. And, you know, there's part of me that could even see myself moving back. But like, I also wanted to know I needed the experience of living in a different city in a totally different place. And um, it just seemed like as good a time event as any And Portland seemed like as good as place as any. So, and like, there's certain reasons where I feel like super lucky to um, be living where I'm living and everything. but uh but yeah no so there's definitely like a period of reinvention that goes on and then i've been trying to channel that um or maybe we too alex as well has been trying to channel that through our music too yeah change the persona man yeah well i do want to talk about music we always talk about music on the podcast which is wild because this didn't start out as a music podcast and it's just pretty much become that which I'm yeah, yeah D- Danny, that's how it's felt because, you know, well, Danny, you're also interviewing people, you know, and like you do music. That oh. is kind of what you know. And hasn't the pod has been a pretty long running now because you was it January 2019 is when you started like publishing these? Yes, I believe so. I'm going on. this. Yeah. Is- I looked it up on Spotify, so I didn't, you know, I was, <laughs> I'm not like biggest fan of the world or anything like that. But yeah, I was because I, I, you know, it's not like I'm. I, I know I'm not shocking you, Danny, but it's like, not like I was a loyal listener, but when I looked at it and I was really, I thought it was so cool how kind of prolific you've been or whatever, like you've been interviewing like a lot of people and you've been keeping it going consistently, which I think is sweet. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's come in waves. There were periods of times where I didn't really want to do it just for certain yeah. times in my life where it didn't make sense to do it. But uh, yeah, getting kind of back into the flow of it has been really nice. I've had an opportunity to talk to people that I haven't talked to in a while just because of COVID. Um, So it's been really nice just kind of getting back into the swing of things. Right on, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about music. I wanna kind of start with how you guys started in music and work to what you're doing now. Um, I listened to those four songs that you guys sent me. Thank you for, I, I, I didn't tell anybody about it. This is the first time even. <laughs> on the down low. It's not first, low. It's not the down low anymore, but the first it time it's being yeah. discussed. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is the first time. Yeah. We're, we're discussing our new music in a, a public setting. So I'm excited. But yeah, I really liked them. The, I, there were two uh, that really stuck out to me. I can't, I know one had the word stone in it. I'm really bad with names. So it's hard for me to remember. <laughs> yeah. Drop a stone on you is the name of that song. And then there was one, I know I was Sway or something like that. A certain Sway. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like, yeah. Well, you guys would know what the name of the song is. <laughs> yeah, well, sounds right to me too. Danny. Yeah. No. Yeah. Which will probably end up being, yeah. The title track of the, uh, of the album. Yeah. But yeah. The, I, I mean, I liked all four of them, but those, those two songs were the ones that really kind of stuck out to me. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm just, the fact that you guys are still writing music together is cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it wasn't something that like, um, like it just sort of happened, like in terms of like, I moved to Portland, 
Alex ends up joining me um, out here. And basically in the time that, you know, I stopped with music back in Michigan, like I'd still been kind of writing, still been playing, you know, here and there. And then uh, I just started developing this like cachet of songs, you know? And then, uh, and then once Alex moved here, you know, he was got into the writing a little bit and then we started to get even more collaborative than we were with our last band. Um, so it's been an interesting thing and there's been a really um, sort of conscious push to make our, to make our music uh, kind of take a different direction than our last band. So that's, that's kind of where we've been at. Yeah. Now what, when did you guys, like, have you always played together or was there like one of you that started playing and then one of you that was sort of, Oh, I, I could do that too. And then like, how, how did that start? Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, if we want to throw it way back, you know, if we want to go VH1 behind the music, but, um, but yeah, no, I started playing guitar when I was like around 15, 16, something like that. And then, um, you know, it was kind of like my thing for a little while there. And then, uh, you know, Alex always really liked uh, music too, but he wasn't necessarily playing instruments. So then our senior in high school, we did a little battle of the bands with like a couple of our friends, you know? We had a couple of epic covers in there. We were pretty into punk at that time. So it was like a Descendants cover. I think we did a Gigi Allen cover, if you could believe it, in we high were, school, um, in the auditorium. We broke the, uh, the kick pedal for the drum and we were disqualified for using up extra time. It was like they paused the clock for a time to fix the kick pedal. And then tragically, they had a community access show showing the battle of the bands and they skipped yes, over us. I don't know did. if that's because oh, of I that forgot accident, about that, but that's true or too. that was because of the GG literally. They literally did the battle of the yeah. bands. They showed it on local access. And when it got to our band, they literally skipped it. Like they, yeah, edited, they skipped us. They took was time like, to edit that shit fucking out. Cocksuckers. They took out the Satanic Warlords. That was the name of our band. No, Satanic it was, Warlords. You felt like Trump on Twitter. Like you were just, your whole platform was taken away from you there. It yes. was horrible. Yes, it was just exactly. Ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah, then from there, like I got um, graduated, went to college. Um, and then kind of the rest of the journey sort of started from there. Isn't it, isn't it wild how it seems like everybody's journey in music at some point within the first couple of years, there was a battle of the bands somewhere, whether or not it was in high school or like a locally run thing. No, there's definitely like, you always will find like the best stories. I think in battle of the bands, because like, you know, that like, you know what it's like, Danny, like those shows are not set up like a regular show and it's all different for obvious reasons. And I remember for LAC, when we did the, battle the bands at Michigan State University and we and that was another disaster too yeah like every battle of bands we don't do, you like hate battle of the bands even though it's everyone's yeah. not saying drug. we're any good at all <laughs> we're bad as hell but it, even in a battle of bands we're somehow finding a way to get worse I don't know how that is but we had another like equipment issue where stuff wasn't working nobody could hear we were supposed um, to I remember they told us don't bring any of your amps or anything. We'll have a we'll have a whole backline. We'll have it all set up. It'll be fine. And then we show up and they're like, um, yeah, like we need some amps. We don't have a backline. We're like, oh my God. And so we had to borrow gear at the last second. I remember it was just a whole, and we did the, what is like that cardinal sin. That's like the thing you hate the most as a musician where we had to stop mid song. We got so lost. That Did was that really happen? Remember? Yes, we had to stop mid-song. Right. Well, this is, all right, well, that's- let, And then they claimed, and right, then like- You're the bringing up judge. all the lowlights. I okay. just gotta Can say- Can we talk about the highlights No, but this is bit? more, this is great. These are the things I treasure too, especially bad times. And remember, and then the one judge was like, uh, it was Joel Heckman, I think, from the 
uh, record lounge. He's like, yeah, you guys were third. It's like, fucking no way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. A ska that's... band got number one. So, I mean, this is just, this that is was how the you judging criteria. Was so we were okay. probably, yeah, it wasn't, we were not third. But we um, third. but yeah, but to bring it back to your original point about the Battle of the Bands, Danny, like, I feel like it's a gateway often, you know, like for uh, people like, particularly like a person like me, like, you know, I don't know about you, Danny, like I grew up in the suburbs, you know, I didn't have much access to like, urban content or like shows, whatever, you know, like I just didn't have a pipeline for that at all. Um, so for really, for me, the, that pipeline and that gateway was like the internet and then vis-a-vis -vis through that would be like battle of the bands and then seeing like some high school bands that I played. Like that was sort of the gateway drug, if you will, for me. Um, but, but yeah, but tell me like, was it for you, was it battle of the bands was the gateway drug was it even before that, like when was the, was the gateway into it? I feel like with, with, I don't know if the gateway itself was Battle of the Bands. I do remember in high school, uh, they had a Battle of the Bands every year at this church in North Muskegon. Yeah. And whatever band I was in that year, uh, or like whatever people I happened to be playing with that year in high school, we would always enter it. And um, it was always fun. It, there was more appeal to it because you felt like you were, you know, you're this young person that gets to be a part of this big production. So it feels like a bigger show than maybe what you might have been used to because I remember being on the radio like they did little radio interviews with all the high school bands that were on there and uh, they gave us pizza and everything so it was really that was cool too yeah. you know you're a kid if you get pizza that's that's all you could really oh, that's the best that's, yeah. oh my god pizza party but I don't know if it was a gateway I remember a point in my life where I realized that I was never going to do another battle of the band because, but it became more about the ethic of it rather than the actual thing itself. And yeah. I, I feel like it was probably at a period of time where I kind of became more of a purist about DIY and playing music, yeah. you know, oh, rather sure. than now, now I'm indifferent. I'm like, I think if you throw a battle of bands, yeah, whatever, it doesn't really affect me, but I, I would encourage any band to not do it. Yeah. You know? No, there's like, yeah, like I, I totally get what you're saying, Danny. You're like, hey, if you're a bunch of 15 year olds looking for your first show, it's probably a great thing, right? Oh, but yeah. if, like in terms of people like, you know, once you get past a certain point, like that stuff just doesn't quite interest you anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you kind of just move on to other things. Cause I think for a lot of people, um, being in a band is like the live performance is such a huge part of it. And like, don't get me wrong, like we love performing live and like we're stoked to perform live with um, Absolute Future once things kind of get back to normal with COVID. Uh, but at the same time, like our, like my main focus with this project has been recording. Um, and it's such a huge part of my focus where it's like, it's basically all I think about in like, I'm always demoing, always like doing that stuff. So like, that's kind of how I get my gourd nowadays, you know, especially in a time like COVID when I'm not able to play live. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, with COVID, I mean, what, what have you guys been doing to sort of stay motivated in, within your writing process? I mean, now it seems like all we have is time. So right. it, it might make it a little easier, but also being, being cooped up a lot might not necessarily help the creativity. In oh, sense, you know, totally. Like, I think like for the first, like when COVID first hit like March of last year or whatever, we were like both sort of losing our minds. We thought it was like infinite vacation, like smoking weed, like every fucking God, day. We were smoking a, a lot of weed, weed, as much weed as Ooh, we could, like, yeah. cause we were just at home all day and there's nothing to smoke. We got a volcano too. So it's basically for those who may not know at home, it's just a gigantic vaporizer that you put into a big bag or whatever. Yeah, man, we it's were just, a, getting, it's a big kid toy. High it's as a big kid toy. High as a couple of hounds. Yeah, so Ooh. like, 
kind of lost our fucking minds, but like we'd even, you know, for full context, you know, um, I'd been working on music all the way through like living here in Portland. And then we, I finally got together with a, a drummer um, that I met on Craigslist uh, by the name of Andy Bunch. And uh, we sort of hit it off. And so we started playing like a few months before COVID hits, so, like around, I think like October, November, something like that. But um, so anyways, yeah, we like get to March, we're sort of losing our fucking minds, like getting too fucked up. So we just start to like dry out a little bit. And we're like, okay, like, let's kind of refocus on the writing. And like, basically, like, we had a goal of like, we already knew we wanted to like release some type of music um, in, uh, in 2020 or there beyond. So like, we, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a little kitty cat there. What is the, uh, the, the cat that just walked over? What, what's that cat's name? Oh, this is little Sebastian. Little Sebastian. Little Sebastian. Oh, well, oh, God you bless had, you, How long have you Sebastian. had Little Sebastian? Um, I, I think six years. I want to say it's six Because I, I was about to say, I thought I heard you talking yeah. about a Little Sebastian, like when we'd play shows yeah. or something oh, like that. that. So I was wondering. Yeah, no, we love, we love Little Sebastian. But yeah, basically, yeah, we like took the time though during COVID and just made a record and like we were first went into the studio and sometime in the summer and like banged out like four songs and then we we're like wow that felt pretty good we like the way this came out um and so then we talked with billy uh anderson who is uh engineering and producing this for us um and just told him like let's make this whole album he was into it and so like we've been kind of off and then so just recording in spurts weekend here weekend there so um, that's kind of been our main focus and everything. And now we're near the completion phase, um, looking to get it out probably by next month. Nice. That's always, I feel like that's one of the more exciting times, but it, it seems like it's, in my experience, also been kind of stressful, especially working with a group who has a different ear for everything. So when you're getting the mixes right. back and everybody's hearing different things and you have to sort of come together and compromise on what sound you all want together, I feel like it's, it's nice hearing the product, but yeah, that that month or so before it's all done where everybody's satisfied i feel like and there's like some tension in there at times yeah no that's actually like a really good point i don't know for us too it's also been the weight like we've been recording this in chunks like throughout the year and so like we've been so eager to release this um so uh we just want to look for the opportunity to do that so that's been sort of killing us but um but yeah that process too of like having like many hands in the pot like i totally get what you're saying danny and i feel like really too when it comes to being a band like you need to have somebody who's like the decision maker in a way like the quarterback if you will like the person like who drives the vision of the band like i know bands that have done it totally collaborate collaboratively where everybody does like their equal 25 percent or whatever it is share but um, at least the way I've always worked, like to me as a songwriter, like I just ha usually have such a clear vision in my head. If like anybody tries to like get on that vision or do something that I'm not into, <laughs> it can kind of like really mess me up, you know? Yeah, I can, I could definitely understand that. I, I've written a few songs in the past couple of years where like, yeah, if I, if I know the sound I want, I'm, I'm open to suggestions but i'm it's going to be a lot harder for me to go with that suggestion if i feel like i see the vision of the song rather yeah. or the or the part a lot of the times i get really stubborn when i write parts because i'll really like a part and then someone else will say oh well i don't i, I don't know if that really fits in that and I'm, I'm like no you're not hearing it right you're not it's not you're not hearing it and yeah that, that usually usually i end up hearing it later and i'm like no you're right that's that doesn't work, you know, but it, it takes a second for me to really give it up, you know? 
Yeah, no, I think that's part of the, um, uh, I think that's part of the reason that uh, I always kind of liked playing with you, Danny. And uh, like, you know, it's a secret back when uh, we were playing together and, you know, and then Tim and some of your other bands after that. But like, I always felt like you guys had good taste and good vision for your songs and how you wanted to construct those and everything was very purposeful and conscious. So I always kind of like that, but. Thank you. No, totally, man. It was, uh, and I like that you guys are super nice guys and you guys played loud music and were kind of like introverts. I love that part too. Like I was just like, you like, bad way. And then you like talk to you upstage, you're like, hey, what's going on, man? What's up? And everything yeah. like, yeah, still personable, but definitely not like boisterous. Like maybe some of it, it you yeah. know. No, the personality didn't match like the, the yeah, like music. You, like if yeah. you hear the music, you're like, dude, it's some bros. They're into that easy core with these the pastel guys beers with pastel and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah but then but then yeah it was just like oh wow they're like super like uh soft-spoken like nice guys everything so it was um it, it, it's fun and, and i think like you're talking about like you have the sound in your head or whatever it is like you can there's so much that's caught up in every person's brain and how they're projecting something or whatever and that it's you know, somebody who may be a very quiet person can have a very loud sound in their head. And I think that's been one of the coolest parts about music is that you can express those parts of, of your personality that maybe, you know, you can't express in other ways or whatever. Like you're not naturally a loud, boisterous guy that's going to flip over tables or whatever, but a guitar gives you that ability to express that certain attitude or those spectrums of emotions. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's a super special part about music, I think. Yeah. No, I definitely would agree with that. As, as a person who, like you say, isn't necessarily the most outspoken, I feel like that's kind of how I can sort of get that out, like that feeling out there. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. it sounds cliche, but yeah, like speaking through the instrument, I guess. Mm -hmm. so to speak. No, totally, man. And, and it's like one of those things like arts that purest form it's like such it's a wonderful form of expression whatever medium it is like music like as we're talking about here or other stuff um to have that that voice and be able to speak for yourself and it's one of those things like it sounds like a kind of commonplace or, or obvious in a certain way but i think it definitely especially in the time of covid that's one of the few ways to kind of keep sane is to like consume good art and be inspired by it create your own art or do something kind of creative, like create something that didn't exist before, you know, like my girlfriend likes like maybe crafting or something like that. Um, but I, I think that's one of kind of the, the biggest things to kind of keep you organized and productive is in, especially during a time like COVID is to have a form of like some sort of creative outlet. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, you guys haven't performed at all in in Oregon have you not with with no no ever. not um we did some like socially distant um kind of concert is and it's funny because we uh it was just like our girlfriends and everything but the place where we practice is actually a large factory um due to for certain reasons you know um, yeah no our um yeah no our drummer like uh he uh he has a nice space that he likes to work with so um we uh yeah no he works out of this warehouse so we use the warehouse as like this practice space and um 
it uh, it ends up, it's actually a really, really great setup and it actually really makes for great sound, particularly when we play out of the warehouse. So it's a really fun setup. So like Alex was saying, we've had a couple of like socially distant concerts with just like spouses and like close friends. Um, I love you have to add that in. Like it was socially distant. Whoa. Hold yeah. On. No, like, no, no, no. Well, there's like a whole chill. thing. Like, yeah. It's yeah okay. exactly. Like we're not like kissing each other. I want people to know we're like, responsible. It's okay. You know, we have yeah. been having large gatherings. Not like we had large gatherings. I know. I'm so I've, I've always been socially distant. <laughs> so you can't catch me on that. <laughs> yeah. You got a little America chip show. It was decently socially distant. <laughs> we did. I mean, come on you know what those shows were like danny with it's oh. a secret and little american champ like naturally socially distant so you can never <laughs> even we could play our regular ass shows we promote it as regular <laughs> oh i definitely do remember some of those shows yeah i know i remember some like i feel like this came up on a podcast it was the podcast i did with joe moran we talked about the show that uh it was it's a secret alaska little american champ and I think Small Parks played as well. It was at Max Bar. Um, God, I think I know which one you're talking about. And it was actually I like don't. a real banger of a show, I believe. Yeah, yeah it was. I remember it being uh, it with there was that like core group of bands, like those four bands. I feel like we all the, that, that there was at least a two of those bands combo on a, on a show on like every build. <laughs> yes, it was like a package deal. Mm -hmm. No, but that's right. And everybody always asks Danny, like, well, you know, why you have a five band build? It's like, well, you need a crowd there. So you know, that's why next time people complain, you just say, hey, we needed a crowd or whatever. But that's just in a post-COVID time. But like you were saying, Danny. But yeah, no, I just remember that one. That one always sticks out to me as one of the shows where not only was it a good, you know, a well-attended show, everybody played well, but that was that was one of the shows I remember there being this sort of hang after where I don't know where the house was, but we all went to the house after and hung out. And uh, it was the only time I remember in the in the time, like I feel like we had it with Alaska a couple of times and, and Hexing has since had this with small parks where we've had like that sort of hang and outside of the show, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, with you guys, I remember having like really specific special moments with everybody in Little American Champ that night like at that house just like hanging out drinking or smoking or something i think it was the first time our bands had smoked weed together and i remember oh, us i remember we were all blown away when we heard you guys smoked weed because yeah. we were just like oh wow those little soft smoking guys smoke weed cool <laughs> <laughs> That's, i wonder how it didn't happen sooner but yeah no i know what you're talking about and i feel like there is this nice kind of coalescence um that happened around that period of time and you know, Danny, you've been around long enough to know um, and been booking shows long enough to know that it kind of happens in spurts. You know, it doesn't always happen like at one time, you know, or especially never happens on like a consistent basis, usually in any one city, particularly the tiny Midwest towns that we're from. Um, but yeah, we had this like kind of like little moment there with uh, with us in like with It's a Secret, you know, Small Parks, you know, Alaska was definitely part of it. There's a couple other bands in there, but um, we had a cool thing going on because I feel like that was the really like like you guys, um, Alaska Small Parks was really kind of the get, like the next step for us because like we like, or like I got my first introduction through kind of the local scene of like my freshman year of college of like going to shows, you know, at Max Bar and just like, and even before then I went to a couple like my senior year of high school, but like 
like going to those shows and everything and like kind of mixing with the Lansing crowd, but that was usually like kind of like come and go and like they were a little older than us. So like it felt good to have other people in other artists that we thought were really good our age making like stuff that we thought was interesting um so i think it just made for a really fun environment when we played shows together and uh and everybody liked it because we all liked watching each other and then like just hanging out afterwards so yeah that show in particular and then we did you know several shows since then but we really bonded yeah since then no for sure and you know it's kind of like you think about danny like i think anytime you're creating something or you're in a scene of people, there's a very natural, understandable, like competitiveness between bands. Like, oh, we want to be, you know, we sound better than those guys. We should be opening up or whatever like that. And I felt like we, at least at the time that we had started playing shows together consistently, we had all, I certainly picked up the sense that we had all been playing music together long enough that it's like, hey man, just whatever one band getting a show, not getting a show or whatever, like getting weird draw, that's not the difference between you doing what you want to do or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's such a good thing for bands to understand nowadays is like, just enjoy the camaraderie, enjoy the French, enjoy having people that share this interest with you and that want to play shows with you because it's, um, it's one of those things, like if you get caught up in all that other stuff and like my brain certainly goes to a very cynical place very easily. But if you take a step back and look at it, we're just lucky that we're even, you know, uh, alive on this earth and able to play these shows together. So it definitely seemed like it was a kind of good hearted thing between everybody and there was never any sort of competitive attention. Not like there were fans to fight over or anything like <laughs> that, but um, it was, uh, everybody seemed very good natured in I think the uh, the circle that we hung around in. Oh, definitely. I think there's definitely some truth to that. I remember being younger and playing music and if there was a band that was from our town that got a, a show in Grand Rapids that was better than a show that we might've gotten in Grand Rapids, there would be this bitterness that I might hold towards yeah, them right. for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm much more likely to be like, oh, that's sick. They got that show. That's so cool. And not even really think about what it would have been like if I had gotten that show. And I think that I think that stems from maybe playing in other cities or playing in other places. Like if we played with you guys in Lansing somewhere or playing like, you know, Kalamazoo or Grand Rapids, you get out of your own scene and see what people are doing in other scenes. And there's, I, I always felt like maybe this doesn't make Muskegon sound very great, but I the times where I went to Grand Rapids or Lansing, those shows felt like a, a much more friendly environment or like a home. Yeah. yeah. Then like, you know, you play you play your own town enough, it it starts there kind of starts to whether or not you notice it, there's some sort of competitive feel when you start seeing if you see a band that gets a prog progresses a little faster than you do maybe or gets like that. Right. You know, there. I I think that happens more often than people think, but not necessarily. It doesn't yes. show, but uh, yeah, it's just I, I playing in Lansing specifically. I I was never from Lansing or went there a lot, but before I started playing there, I already knew about places like Max Bar or the Loft or like the yeah. Avenue or Harry yeah. Brown, like places like that. You know, like yeah, no, there was Lansing was a special like obviously it was a special place like. For me, like coming out of high school, it was either like I had like two tracks. It was either like 
go kind of like be a student like everybody else or like go play football um because i was being like recruited by these schools and like uh, alex was too we like both decided we didn't want to do that you know we just wanted like a, a different sort of like just student sort of experience so like i decided to go to like michigan state um at that point and that was really like and even before then too um like once i knew i was going i believe the summer before we went to the um we went to max bar to see bomb the music industry play with andrew jackson yeah Jihad. i was just thinking about that yeah and andrew there was, jackson there Jihad and um yeah. lemuria lemuria um, was on Kepi that was on that uh yeah no, it was a super so, great show yeah like alex and i were already pretty into punk at that point but like i was saying we were like fucking hot topic punks you know in high school like we lived in the suburbs we didn't fucking go to shows or like we rarely did like i think like my first punk show um uh, was like when I was 15 or 16, we went to like St. Andrew's Hall. We saw adolescents with the street dogs, but like we didn't do that like every weekend. Like once I moved to Lansing, like I was going to see shows all the time every weekend. Like you said, Max Bar was this huge cultural hub, like uh, GTG House uh, as well, and like uh, Harriet Brown, a few other places. But um, yeah, there was just always this sort of like uh, we were talking about pretentiousness, this sort of like unpretentious nature with Lansing and not to say it was this great scene. It ebbs, it flows. It wasn't always great the whole time we were there. But like, yeah. man, when it was on, it was really on. And if you had a really good like touring act and like you put it in Lansing, like you would typically get a great turnout because you're going to get those West Michigan people from like Muskegon and Grand Rapids. And then you're going to get those East Michigan people from like Detroit and stuff that comes over because we were right in that middle point. So like for those like kind of mid-sized shows that we would get on occasion for being this kind of tiny town it would actually be pretty dang good shows and and i feel like we, we were lucky like i wouldn't have been i wouldn't probably be making music now if i didn't end up living in that town so yeah that isn't it isn't it weird that this is a little off topic maybe topic adjacent but uh like just being in a, like I, I sometimes think about what it would have been like if I didn't grow up in Muskegon because I, I don't know if I even would have played music at all because mm -hmm. I, I grew up in, in a town called Ravana and there wasn't a whole lot to do but there were two churches in Ravana that would throw these hardcore punk rock shows whatever it was and it would just be four or five bands you'd pay you know three to five dollars to get in and then you'd watch bands all night and so like I, I sometimes wonder if I just didn't have that in front of me when I was 12, like, would I be where I'm at now? You know, like, is right. well, was that, so we were talking earlier about gateways. Was that your gateway, Danny? Was that like the time you heard that and you're like, I don't just like this. Like, I want to do this. I want to like, oh yeah. Make something. Yeah. Well, it took a, I would say it, it was something where like, when I went to my first show, I, I always remember thinking it was very cool that this happened in where I grew up or where I lived, but it maybe took maybe a year or so before I actually was like, oh no, I kind of want to try that. Play, like see what it's like to play songs or write songs even and play them in front of people. Um, and so I would say, yeah, maybe maybe just the fact that there were shows two miles from my house in this town where there wasn't really anything to do. So just seeing that was the gateway because we, we would have shows, you know, that in that church basement, that was where I first saw bands like Koji, uh, La Dispute. Uh -huh. Um, yeah just i don't know i name dropped those two i didn't mean to um, do that. it's funny you name drop koji though because for little american champ our first show is actually with koji and into it over it 
Oh yeah. Um, back when they were yeah. both relative unknowns, because uh, this was way back in the day, uh, 2010 maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it was around like 2010. So there was yeah, there was a lot of crossover. Koji played a lot of Midwest, a lot of a lot of Midwest shows from Koji. A lot of Michigan dates. Yeah, he he would play Muskegon maybe once a year, once every other year for a while. I remember seeing him play on a ladder in a bingo hall once. Uh, oh, wow. And he didn't lose his balance. I don't have good that enough was, balance. I was about yeah, to say. no, that's, do, and I'm scared of heights. That would like, like make that. me fall. Yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't. I barely coordinated with my feet on the ground playing guitar, let alone on a ladder. Couldn't do it. But, well, let's, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about Little American Champ and what it, what it was sort of like to play in Lansing. Um, you know, there were, I always remember there were always good bands on all the shows. I feel like when I, whenever I'd see a show there, I couldn't, I never knew if the band was from Lansing or somewhere right around in that little like half hour, 45 minute bubble yeah. around Lansing. But I always just assumed every band was from Lansing. So anytime I went to Max Bar, I was like, wow, Lansing has all these really good bands, but they'd be from, I don't know, like, like what, how? Yeah, or at Seago or some town like that, you know, like within a relative distance. I don't know. But, but uh, no, there was like this sort of uh, like geographical area. And I feel like particularly to like, if you're not from some big city like Chicago or something like you get sort of regional. And like, that's why I think like we hooked up um, and played a lot of shows together, even though, you know, It's a Secret was like an hour and a half away because, you know, Muskegon to you know Lansing isn't really that far if there's not too many places to play in between you know so um so yeah there was like you know between like Howell which was like surprisingly fertile grounds at times for certain bands you know like we were talking about Alaska and some other spinoffs from that um but uh but yeah no there's I feel like a huge regional effort when you're not in a big city to where it's like it's more about like traveling getting to the shows you know and if you think about it, Livingston County was a big, I think, pipeline into yes. the mid-Michigan scene yes. for a while because kind of big crash was kind of born out of it. With uh, Danny Petrelli and Josh Taylor was kind of born out of that Livingston County kind of towel scene and everything. And yeah. So I, I think there was that kind of big kind of mid-Michigan bond between those two areas. And, um, I, you know, for the time that we were there, I think there was like a solid about you know, eight to 10 years where there, there were just some really, really great shows and tour packages coming through. Um, you know, I yeah, haven't been there, you know, in a while. So, you know, I can't comment on that, but um, I, it's like you're saying, Danny, like, I'm really grateful that we were in that area because we could have decided to, you know, play football in college and go to Hope College or something in Holland and not maybe have access to that same kind of creative area. So, um it was it, it was really cool that you know things happen um in the, the way they do uh, and that we had the opportunity to kind of be in that scene and all the hub scenes that kind of spun off that like you know we go to grand rapids or whatever and through there we kind of met you and we go to muskegon to like play shows and everything so it was um kind of once you got kind of into that pipeline it's it's, it's kind of like being a musician. It, it quickly, you get to know a lot of people and get to know like the different kind of networks and everybody becomes kind of friends in a way. Mm -hmm. Now, when you guys were playing, I, I remember during the course of time when It's a Secret played with you guys, there were some lineup changes and things like that. 
did that did that ever slow the process down or was everything fair did everything kind of stay together even while you're going through different drummers um, or adding guitar players for shows or things like that yeah no i think for us like it was always a constant state of change and like i think for both alex and i like we enjoyed playing with new people so like yeah i mean the way it really started out was like like Alex was saying, like, you know, I was playing um, in a band called The Big Crash, which was me and Danny Petrelli and uh, Josh Taylor. Um, I kind of came in later. They, it was kind of their thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, and then I spun off from there uh, in 2010. So we started uh, Little American Champ at that point. And we started as a three piece, just me and my brother and uh, Danny on um, drums. And uh, like you said, like we just kind of always changed from there. And like part of it was out of necessity. Part of it was also out of, uh, we always were cool to just switch things up and always just found it fun to play with new people. So like we like more out of necessity always had a kind of a revolving door of drummers a lot. Like Danny came in, but then he like Danny left. And then we had a lot of people since Danny, but then Danny came back playing guitar. Like, so it was, um, so like I said, I always thought it was sort of like a strength of the band. I don't ever felt like it held us up too, too much. What do you think, Al? No, I, I think it's because uh, John and I would write all the songs together that it really, like we were kind of the main writing force behind the bands. There was always stuff to work off of. And, you know, if there was a switch up or something like that, you know, so be it. Um, you know, we were able to keep, I think, some continuity um, because yeah. there were kind of like main eras between drummers. You know, it's like every band. It's like finding that drummer is yeah. the hardest part. Um, but uh I think since we kind of had a really solid kind of creative direction we were going in, um, it certainly would be a lot more difficult if it was somebody who was a writer who was kind of coming yeah. and going. No, like uh, for me, like uh, Little American Champ was always a revolving door. It always had different hands in the pod. But like for me, like when Little American Champ really came into its own is when we released our our um, our album uh, Vacation Ending, and it was like me alex on bass doing his thing um and then like you know matt restorer on drums and danny uh petrelli on guitar i feel like that was really like for the longest time like kind that of was core. that was the l that was little american champ for the longest yeah. time that's always kind of what i think of when i think of little american champ i will say about vacation ending that's probably if i if i'm ever driving like if i drive the band to a show that's one of my go-to records to play like in the through the speaker, I, I love to play that and just drive to the show for, for I don't you you know how you get those those albums where you're like no this is this is what we're gonna listen to for this drive and then your yeah. album is one of, usually one that I pick. Um, Thank you. I think it's because there's something that reminds me of like the you know how you go and you drive to play a show with a band and you might listen to them on the way, you know, or even just. Yeah be excited to play with them. I think there's something about it that gives me this feeling where I would have those feelings when we would drive to play shows with you guys or like just maybe a show in Lansing or something. It gives me that same feeling of like, it, it's, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but yeah, there's, there's that feeling there where it feels like the old days almost in a way. I, I totally know. And, and, you know, and I think it's kind of a thing, like after a while, like the second, third, fourth time you would invite us out to Muskegon for shows and everything. And after a while, once you've played with certain bands or you played at a certain venue a number of times, you, there's this comfort that you kind of develop and there's, you have all the awesome parts of a show without any of the nervous energy or anything. Cause you're like, Hey, I know the people like, this is going to be 
awesome. Like no matter what, everybody's going to find a way to have a good time. So um, that's what I liked about going up to Muskegon too, is because it was after a while became kind of a comfortable environment and yeah. uh, you know, you was just something you, you just look forward to doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just to kind of wrap up on uh, vacation ending, I feel like that was really important, like kind of formative experience for us writing that album, um, recording that album, uh, leaving Michigan to record that album. Uh, we recorded it at Bobby Purr Studios um, in uh, Milwaukee. And uh, like Shane Olivo, he's the, uh, he's like kind of the main, main person there. And uh, he's the one who recorded our album. And like, he was, he was great because he also really believed in us too. And he like got the vision of the band, really liked the songs. And so he was like also helping us truly produce the album in sense of like coming up with different parts and like, Hey, you know, like add this layer, this would be cool. Like he was, he got passionate and, and sort of into it too, which was, which helped really inspire us and push that through. And yeah, no, I'm proud. I'm really proud of that. Like I'll still like, even every, I don't rarely listen to my own work, but every so often I'll still put it on. I'll be like, you know what? I made that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What do you guys, I, I don't know if this question will sound the way that I am asking it. Cause I'm not sure how to ask it exactly, but what do you guys think little American champ was like, what was it to you in a sense? Like, like when you'd play or when you'd write, like what did you what did you want it to be? And then while you were experiencing, was it what you wanted it to be? Wow. Oh wow. There's a lot to unpack there with that question. Alex, do you want to go first, and then I'll you know. Uh, yes, John. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah. I, I I think I like your question, Danny, and I think like for me, I always kind of view it as like at the end of the day, it was kind of all gravy in the sense of. I didn't come from a naturally, like I would say creative or artistic family. Uh, not that they were against it because my dad's certainly like a big music fan, but he's not necessarily a musician himself or anything like that. And so to have something that was like a creative outlet, like, hey, I'm creating art was such a cool, empowering thing. And I know definitely for both of us, when we initially started it, there wasn't really many designs on like playing anything beyond extremely hyper local shows and very like abbreviated releases, stuff like that. And kind of as you do something and you get better at it, you get more confident. Maybe you kind of get your hopes up. You think like, oh, we could kind of do something and then, oh, we didn't. But I, I know, especially as I get older and I look back at it, that it was, I, I look back at that as mission accomplished. Like we did it. Like I still listen to those uh, releases from time to time and like I'm uh, proud of like a lot of the stuff that we put out and I, I think that's kind of the main thing too is that at the end of the day and this kind of gets like like gets back to what we're talking about uh, bands and competitiveness no as uh, the way music yeah. is nowadays nobody's getting rich off this so don't yeah. measure your success off oh can I support myself off this or oh how many people yeah. online did we attract how many people on our band camp None of that stuff matters. The fact yeah. that you did it and that it's a thing, it's a recorded, it's a real thing that didn't exist before, that is really the victory kind of in the end. Um, and I think that, you know, that's kind of like the spirit that was really kind of encapsulated the spirit of Little American Champ was, um, you know, we were talking about this before of like, you know, no one's getting rich on this. Like we're totally doing it for fun, you know, and we, we didn't come from this like 
you know, we've had a couple of musical people in our family, but we didn't come from this like Juilliard trained, like classical musician thing. Like everything I've learned on guitar or whatever was self-taught. Like I just sort of figured it out myself. So like, we're not like necessarily the most refined musicians or anything, but like, I feel like what we always did though was like, we still love making art. So we would just sort of like put things together. And if it sounded good to us, that was cool. And like, we always really gravitated to punk, but also at the same time, like, we always tried to make our music whatever it was. So there was never like tried to be a definite genre or like this particular idea with it. It was like, no, we just make this music. And so that's why I was always happy. And if you like, you listen to every like Little American Champ release, it was always different than the one before it. And I felt like that was the strength of us. Yeah, that I liked, I like that. I think it's interesting when people don't like a band's album, like the second one, they would be like if they really like the first album then the second one comes out and it's a little a little bit more i don't know i don't know if advanced sound is the right way to put it but like the, it's just a you know a different sound they took it in a new direction or they just had different a different sense of the way they were writing but people i think you see that, that pattern where people like that second record comes out and they're like oh they lost it or they don't like they or they, yeah. they want to hear songs from the first record and that's all they want and I, and I think I get that from a, a listener, or like a consumer perspective. Like if you buy a ticket to see a band play, or if you want to go to see a band, you want to hear them play the songs you like, not the songs you don't really know that well. But there's, I think there's that weird line between artist and fan or like artist and person watching that they just, that that person watching just doesn't get that it's not really for them, even though it is kind right. of for them at the same time, you know? Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think like you kind of have the right idea about it, Danny. It's like nobody says like it's it's not like people have disregard for their fans. It's just that like sometimes creativity is this weird sort of direction. It's this weird sort of meandering path, like for a lot of people, like and you just kind of take it where it takes you, you know, so um, it just sounds like from what you're saying, Danny, like you're inspired by a lot of what I'm inspired by, which is in the sense of like, artists who can make things that are different and artists who can make things that are different from a least release that's really important to me like as a person who like is constantly consuming music like that's sort of my benchmark for the difference between like a good band or a great band like good artist or a great artist is like can that artist reinvent themselves over time like i know like artist a or whatever like they're really good but like they wake one type of album you know and see the whole thing with artist B, they may have made that type of album, but then the next album is going to be a, a switch up. And then the next album is a switch up for that. To me, like that's the artist, like at least in just my opinion, like that's the artist that I go back to. Those are the people that I focus on. To me, that's like what's so hugely influence, uh, influences me in the way I write my music Um is to have it, um, is there to be a lot of digression there? Is there to not necessarily be this cohesion between release, uh, release to release, other than just a constant progression of forward? W whatever this new sound is, we just embrace it. So like, that's what we've been trying to do. Um, in particular with our new album, I'm like, wow, I really like the way this sounds like, does this sound like a particular thing or some shubs genre I'm going for? I'm like, not really, but I'm just gonna release it anyways. I, it, like you're saying, Danny, you just sort of trust your instincts. I feel like you have to at a certain point. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it, it, maybe it doesn't make the songwriting easier, but it, it tends to like make it less stressful when you don't put that pressure on it of writing it for other people or like 
like I, I know I've been in at times where like we'll be writing a song and we'll think oh well we should put a chorus here or some kind of hook because that's what's going to make the song more uh, I don't know I'll say radio friendly as an example but it's not the point I'm trying to make but um, like just you know when you write you can you can definitely write a song or cater it to a sound or an audience if you write it the right way but sometimes it's better to yeah just listen to how you feel about the song rather and you know if it doesn't fit that box that right. is in that popular sound that's just going to be a song people like you know I think it's easier to write a hit song than what people think because there's a math to it you know there's a reason these people write these songs that get millions upon millions of plays like there's a certain math to it. And I, I don't, I I'm don't. nodding my head really hard in case people can't hear that on the pod. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think there's, there's definitely a science to it for sure. So if, if you're just writing songs that you like and you don't really care necessarily what you're writing it for other than yourself, I think that's really the more important way to look at it. Yeah. No, I think it's liberating in a certain way, Danny, right? Like it's, you know, particularly like, because I feel like we didn't have any illusions early on. We were just like, hey, you know, we realized pretty quick, we basically realized pretty quickly, like we're not getting rich from this. This isn't some sort of springboard to some great thing. Like this is really just going to be fun. Like we're really not going to make money. We're really not going to make money and we're really probably not going to reach any sort of acclaim. So might as well do whatever the fuck you want. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, so we always try to be pretty bold with that vision. And, um, and I know that's going to be the, the vision we sort of continue to have is just like, not necessarily how weird can we make the songs, but like, just what do I like? What's appealing to my ear? I'm going to do that. I don't really care if it's, you know, something that isn't accessible for a lot of people right now. I just, you know, and I think that particularly if you're some sort of like indie artist or whatever, you may find yourself making more interesting music if you're taking that route versus trying to replicate something that already several people have done that, you know, people frankly have probably done better than you. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk a little bit about Absolute Future and and sort of blending it in from little the Little American Champ era. What what did you learn from being in Little American Champ that helped benefit you now in in the music that you're writing now? I I mean you know you I think this definitely was because I I think having it like John had that experience before kind of a Little American Champ with Big Crash, but my kind of, I didn't have as much experience before Little American Champ. And that's where you kind of learn all those different things between playing shows, recording and everything. And you pick up a lot of those markers and that natural experience. And there's definitely a lot more like comfort just initially like hitting the ground running with new people and yeah. especially communicating with other musicians when you know, you've played with different people before, you've recorded before, you you kind of know what to expect. So there's definitely uh, a lot more comfort, I think, in this uh, new kind of iteration. And especially because the the two people we play with, Andy, our drummer, and Sean, our other guitarists, like they also have played in acts previously. So everybody's kind of more experienced at this point. Um, and it makes you all grow more comfortable with each other faster. I think then in that kind of other environment, you know? Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. I think that um, 
Yeah, with Absolute Future, you know, I think it was something we sort of, or, you know, me rather uh, speaking for myself, something I had to do. Um, something that, uh, you know, I knew like I had these songs I've been writing and I was like, man, it's just kind of a shame. And if I, you know, don't do anything with these. So I was trying to kind of find, trying to find the right drummer, uh, the right person to at least record these. I didn't even necessarily need it to be a band or anything. I just wanted to record them for my own, frankly, enjoyment. So like, but, you know, as you kind of bring in other people to pot, um, you know, so I brought in, you know, Andy, of course, Alex was right on board, you know, right from day one. And, uh, and then we ended up bringing in Sean too. And so like, basically, like Alex was saying, we're at a different stage of life. And I think that's really, um, that's really sort of an important thing that helps kind of change your perspective, make certain things easier. Um, yeah, you know, we're all in, you know, Alex and I are 30. Um, and our, uh, our other, our members are in their early 30s. So it's like, we're kind of in a different frame of life right now. And we're in a different place where it's, like I said, if anything, it's even more amplified of like, we're just going to do whatever we want. If people are into it along the way, like that's cool, but we're just going to press on doing this sort of like weird thing that we're doing. So um, it's been totally a natural fit. And, um, you know, and the album was, uh, it's been strenuous, but we're there. So, um, and, uh, and we're ready to release it and it feels good. We're already working on new tunes. So it's just, for us, it's constant process of, you know, creating new stuff. Thanks. Yeah, I, I can always appreciate whenever I hear a band say uh, that they've got recordings done, they have an album ready, but then they also have been working and they still have songs after that that they're working on, you know, like that. You can see that progress is continuing to flow and they're, they're on that grind still. I, I think that's really motivating to see that when you see people can do it, it makes you feel like you can too, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's kind of a constant process, I think, for us. I don't know if um, me or Alex, maybe for your case, like, I don't know if we ever stop writing. Like, it's always a thing where it's like always going, where it's like, if I have like some sort of instrument in my hand, I'm going to come up with something. And if I like it, I'm going to hold on to it. So like, we really have a distinction between like a writing period and, and not writing period. We're just basically in this constant process of like coming up with new ideas. What? <clears throat> Sorry. I I hey, is that, so is that an e-cig or is that a weed e-cig uh, like can yeah. we smoke on the pod what's the what's the protocol oh, here yeah absolutely yeah yeah no, i well that's what i figured but you know i just yeah, wanted so to make sure to people knew we were gracious host i want to make sure people knew we were cool oh too so mm -hmm. that's yeah yeah no i it won't bother me at all i don't yeah i don't mind no this is this would be a lot cooler if it had weed in it but no it's just an e-cig uh, oh, I, oh please. you and uh, Stephen Dwarf, he was one of the first big, uh, you know, endorsers, big celebrities. <laughs> Talk about big that celebrity. endorsed ESIG. <laughs> I think maybe it was the company Blue, but you know, Alex and I always thought it was so funny. You know, Stephen Dwarf. I don't know if you've watched any of his movies or mm -hmm. he's been in a lot of like B list kind of like shitty movies, but like the fact that he was the first sponsor of e-cigs was actually fucking perfect and hopefully somebody listening out there can appreciate that <laughs> yeah i'll have to google him because i'm not entirely sure who that is but i probably have seen him <laughs> what was that shitty movie alex that he was a deuces he's wild deuce and is uh cecil be demented which is like a kind of cult classic movie about filmmaking actually um, yeah it is weird yeah. but nice yeah no i'm definitely i'm gonna google him later because i feel like yeah if i once i saw him you know i'd probably know who he was um one thing i'm curious about 
is do you feel like you have some sort of advantage or have you noticed certain aspects of being brothers that helps your songwriting at all or do you like is there do you kind of are you able to pick up on tendencies in songwriting based on the fact that you kind of have this connection outside of music given that you you're brothers you know and you kind of already know each other better than anybody really yeah i i mean i i think completely it really uh how like when you're basically you can tell somebody it's bad like you can say, dude, <laughs> like, you, you can just be a, like, man, you better save that for the solo career because I don't know how to break this to you. Sometimes it's awkward. Like, no, again, it, isn't it's it awkward yeah. telling someone they have a bad idea? Uh, it's kind of awkward, yeah. right? It is, yeah. Kitty, that was a bad idea. We're doing a uh, podcast, you know, kind of like that. But it, it, it really is. It's one of those things like uh, um, you you have the ability to be a lot more direct with somebody who is a sibling or somebody you've grown up with. Um, and, you know, I'm not this like super, like I, I, you know, I definitely do not seek out confrontation. So to have um, a, uh, a writing partner who is somebody who you're just close with personally as well, it allows you to be very, uh, you know, even though that yeah. can be tough sometimes too, but you can be very direct about stuff. And I, and I think that that helps to tell somebody that, Hey, that's, that's bad. Yeah, no, I think you're right out. Like you can be copacetic, but at the same way, like, I think a lot of people get this idea since we're brothers, like we're like, so lockstep, like we argue like crazy about these songs. Yeah. Like we, like we can, often like we're so in the same alignment so when we're not in alignment and like i think the idea should be this and he thinks the idea should be that like it can lead to like kind of nuclear type of chernobyl <sighs> events but uh big time but we always find a way to get along and in, in like alex was saying like particularly when you can just have someone you've known your whole life so you can just sort of tell them the way it is and how you're feeling like that's really liberating and you can get a lot of work done that way and you can make a lot of cool stuff that way. And like I said, I'm sure people can do it the other way with uh, with good friends and stuff. But we were just, I was, I guess I was lucky to have a built-in writing partner right here. No, I have, sorry. I wasn't expecting him to jump off me like that. Um, <laughs> Little Sebastian just crashing I the know. pod. Bastard Sebastian. Bastard Sebastian. Bastard Sebastian in a basket. Sebastian. Um, but yeah, what I, well, one thing I'm also curious about, because one of the things I really liked about Little American Champ was the, and I, I don't know if maybe you, it, it's just like, if you guys notice it or realize it, but there was that natural charisma that the two of you had with the mics behind you on stage. I'm sure you had to have heard this before. I, I'm not the first person to tell you this. I would yeah, yeah, maybe not too much, I think specifically about that, but yeah, I think around. Um, then, yeah, I think a lot of it was also like, we weren't afraid, it, particularly, you know, Al, like wasn't afraid to be goofy uh, a lot, you know? And I think there's something that's very endearing about that sort of stuff. Like we did one Halloween show where I was doing like a South African or like Australian, some type of weird accent for like the whole thing. And he like stayed oh, in character yeah. for the whole set, you know, like, so like, yeah, no, I always, I guess, yeah, people always gravitated towards us. I always felt like I never said the right thing. Like, I feel like I could say <sighs> these like amazing sort of like revelations, but it never came out when I was on stage. On stage, I was always like, <laughs> blam, blam. so when you say like charismatic, that makes me happy. 
you know? So <laughs> what do you made him happy. You made yeah. him happy, Dan. Well, I think maybe there's some truth to that because I feel like anytime I had a mic in front of me, anything I ever said was the stupidest thing in the world right. you know, and to myself. Whereas like it might have gotten a different reaction from somebody else, but like, yeah, I always hated it. Anytime I said anything, I why did I say that? And I, I'd spend the first couple notes of the song be like, oh, I'm an idiot. And then <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's particularly something about, uh, as you know, Danny, like saying something or particularly or trying to be funny to a small crowd of people and no one laughs. That's a very, it's it's a very vulnerable Yeah, feeling. laughter's contagious. So if it's a bunch of dumb people and one person doesn't do it. <laughs> <I know. laughs> right. Uh, that makes me think of a really specific example of that happening. We played, Tim played a show at Max Bar on 420. And- uh, oh, oh, so you were locked and loaded, right, Dan? You were ready to go with all the jokes and everything. It, it was it was very, oh, it was the best. I loved it, but we were playing and uh, in between one of the songs, Trevor, uh, you know, he said, hey, we're Tim and we're 420 somethings. And then that was that was the joke. And oh, uh-huh. in, 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 he said it to a room of crickets, you know, like there was nothing. Yes, <laughs> yes, this, this makes it tough. And, uh, but the four of us just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> four guys laughing on stage about something that nobody really understood or didn't hear it right away. And, uh, but it ended up making for a fun moment that we talk about sometimes here and there. But uh, yeah, it's just like things like that where it's almost like, being stage banter sort of reminds me of what Twitter is like every day, where like, like someone can say uh, the stupidest thing in the world and everybody loves it and you have no idea why. Like it makes no sense. Oh at my all. god! Yeah. I, there's no rhyme or reason to it, right? Like people say the dumbest fucking shit yeah. on Twitter and then it like get blows up and you're like, that wasn't even remotely interesting. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? Like. So I totally feel you there. There is no, no rhyme I think or reason. Like a lot of that comedy is really bad. Like on Twitter, like everyone's like, God, what a funny tweet. And then it's like, I don't know. Like for me, like something that like what's really humorous to me generally involves like a voice inflection or some sort of body language or something like that. Like there's an interpersonal level with humor with me that I think can't be replicated. Or if you try to replicate it on Twitter, it makes the joke not as funny or something like that. So you're a real in-person guy, you're physical humor. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> that, that's what I think appeals the most, at least to me. Um, and so I, I feel like on Twitter, they lose a lot of stuff. That's why, like, I, I don't like really like post statuses or anything because like, what the fuck am I going to say? Like, I don't know what to say basically most of the time. Like, I'm just yeah. trying to, you know, express myself, but I feel more comfortable in conversational things. But if I say this, it might come off like this. I mean, the essence of it's funny, but what about this? And so it, it's just like, I feel like it's been, if anything, kind of a detriment to humor that a lot of it is written yeah. now and, no, and, our, and definitely her. for like little american champ and like we'll inevitably cheer for absolute future i think our social media presence will suffer because like we're not good at like coming up with the best content in the world you know like we're a little like we're like oh. millennials but we're a little old-fashioned you know in that way you know like we just like put our shit out there and like typically like i'll say shit that could be like offensive to like so many people so it's like it's so difficult for me to like say something that's like edgy but also won't get you in trouble you know like I suck at that stuff. So I just try not to even engage in that way. When I think in regards to Twitter, I think some of the best stuff is 
when you see a band that genuinely just doesn't care. And I don't say that in a sense like doesn't care, like, oh, they don't give a shit about it. They're, you know, but like they just say what they say and you get their personality more so out of it than like people that are that organize it or plan it out and try to put some theory behind it. Because you can pick that up, can't you, Danny? Like you can feel that when somebody's like doing this, oh, this is good marketing, right? Like you feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I there's, the, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with songwriting. There's a science behind it. And I, I think a lot of it stems from at least in maybe our experience where we're not renowned huge bands. So we're not playing, you know, over a thousand capacity places where, you know, it sells out to a crowd of people that know all our songs. And, I'm sure that's badass, but and, none of us have that experience. <laughs> yeah. but like, but you, you know, like you see how you see, like, okay, say you went and saw, we'll say, I don't know. It, you know, it's funny. My you first think like thousand cap, like who could fill a thousand cap room? Like my, my first instinct was to say like brand new like because I, okay. I was thinking of, that's a good example. Yeah. I was thinking of bands I had seen in rooms with over a thousand people. And that was a band I'd seen the most, but now there's this big controversy behind ever even talking about brand new. And so oh, I'm right. Yes. Yeah. So that made, but like you said, we're just flowing. We're just letting go, but you're saying this purely for an example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. For an example. Oh, actually. Yeah. Let's get all internet. I actually have a better example because I, I have an example within the example. Uh, I saw Anthony Ranieri perform one time and uh, he was, you know, he was tuning his guitar in between songs and he wasn't saying anything. He's just tuning. And he looks out at the crowd and sees them all staring at him and like just waiting, like waiting for him to say anything, you know? And uh, he just kind of looked out at the crowd and he was like, you guys look like you're waiting for me to say something profound. And then everybody kind of laughed and everything. And he was like, I don't have anything to say, but he didn't say it as though he was making a joke or anything. He just said it. And then you watch the people and they all laugh and they all they, like, that got a huge reaction out of him, him just saying, oh, I don't have anything to say. And so you're kind of watching and you're like, would they just do this to anything that he says? Like, does it matter what he's saying at all? Like, <laughs> they, you, you see those big bands and they, anybody, they, they might cough into the microphone and you get a three minute applause break. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. But, no, there's so much bad laughter in regards to bad humor at shows. Like bad show bands. It's because you already, you are inclined to laugh because you already like the band. You like the band. You're, you're going to laugh at their dumbass joke. You're going right? to do that. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of these bands, they're not funny. They're they terrible. They're not funny. A lot of the jokes, like, it's just. The, they don't know stage. And, and I think an element of it is like, we're musicians we're here to play music so that's that's what we're putting most of our time and thought into yeah uh every time i've like pre-thought about a joke it like hasn't landed and it isn't funny at all and then the stuff that just comes to me is the funny ass shit so it's just like dude you know you can't like if you maybe got a certain amount of notoriety get the crowd to play with you if not i think that's the main take-home message too is fuck the crowd i mean they're usually dumb they don't know what's going on you know we just want them for their money 
And it's more, you know, just something that you marshal to support you as, as uh, an artist, you know, God, like, that sounds so you terrible, are beneath but it's me, so true. like you are just something I'm trying to stack yeah, no. beneath myself. No, it's not, it's not that cynical. No, but... I think it's not really that. I think basically it's your, it's the kind of cynical way of viewing, like we're doing this for fun. Like we've always been saying, right, Alex, yeah. like, you know, so if people were into it, that's great. But if they're not like, it's not going to dissuade me in any way you know i love doing this because it makes me feel more whole so if not a soul was listening to it it wouldn't make that much of a difference really right well and i feel like there's something i mean you probably don't i i know we don't hear it often but there's people like that they give like that honest criticism where like anytime i hear people say like eh, it was okay or like just like a really honest like oh well I think that song you know could have had a better part and it, that those types of of criticisms usually come from other people in bands but um, I always appreciate that more than just like somebody who will just be like oh yeah it was really good you know what I mean like things like that I think there's an honesty that comes with being in a bit of a smaller band whereas like those big yeah. bands I think they're there are just people who are going to love whatever they do. So they get that maybe in their mind that they can't do wrong when writing the song or like they feel pressure to hold that, that personality type, you know, or like to be outgoing, like they have to be there for the, the crowd rather than for themselves. And that might take it out of it for them. But I, I, for me, like, I don't, I don't notice that because I'm not in a huge band. So I don't have to deal with that sort of thing, but I'm not exactly sure where I was going with that tangent, but I feel but, like um, the point. But to kind of bring it back home, Danny, I think that uh, also at the same time, when you were in a band, at least of our like comparative levels, um, like you would look to your other artists as sort of like your anchors of like, okay, well, like, was that good or did that suck? You know what I'm saying? Like you would ask me, but you wouldn't like, you wouldn't ask me as someone else. You'd ask me like, hey, like, was that good? You know, like, and like, I always try to be honest, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a Midwestern person. So generally with positive sort of underpinnings where it was like, oh, I loved it. You know, a couple things got a little, uh, a little rough here and there. And that's how, you know, it sucked. You know, if, if yeah. I said that, you know, like that's how, you know, it was terrible. But, um, but uh, yeah, no, I think you always wanted like honest feedback about your performances and everything. And like uh, also from a musician's ear, cause as you know, Danny, like, a lot of people are going to hear things that you wouldn't necessarily hear as the average person. And then to like the musician, it's so bad. It's like death, you know? And then, but then you also try have to try to put yourself in the mind frame of an average person where it's like, actually nobody probably even hardly thought about it. And for you, it was social death. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I definitely, I, well, I have a tell whenever I mess up a part or I play something wrong, I, I look up, and about half the time I stick my tongue out and it's, and it's something where I don't know if I realized I did it at first, but then people started telling me about it. And now I notice it as I'm playing. Oh man, Danny, that cute girl in the front row thought you were doing that just for her. What the hell, man? Yeah. Fuck. You, <laughs> you fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> or that cute interpersonal person. Yeah. You were doing thank that. Thank you. Them. Thank you. But yeah, I don't know. I think for me, like, I think that, like having the tell is a little bit better than just assuming that people thought it was bad. Like I, I get it out of my system that way where I'm like, 
Yeah, you stick oh, your tongue out, you do your little Kalingas kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think it helps break the tension, probably. Like, I don't know. It, then again, like, LAC, we had so many, like, bad shows and, like, mistakes and shitty songs where it was. Yeah, it was just bad. It's kind of hard to remember. Yeah, there it's kind of so remember because there were so many bad ones along the way. You're yeah, like, there where was... were the good ones? I want to think of, like, a good bad one for you, but I can't even think of a good bad one because there were yeah, so many that good was bad just ones. the show. That yeah. was just the show. Yeah. <laughs> like, 40% of the time, that was the the show. That was yeah. the show. <laughs> um, now let's talk about the new record for a second. What are, well, let's talk about this first. When are you guys releasing the new record? Uh, we do not have a firm release date yet. <laughs> We're still in the mixing and mastering phase of it. Um, so we are hoping to have something out there uh, by, you know, kind of uh, late spring, early summer. Uh, in terms of this year, it's kind of one of those things, um, Danny, where especially with COVID, we're not in a rush to release it because, you know, ideally you'd like to be able to re release it and support it with live shows. But um, as of right now, we are kind of aiming for like a uh, later spring, early summer type of release. Hmm. And what, what do you think the goals are for having the album? Like, obviously, you know, you mentioned you want to try and play some shows on it and I would assume, you know, you're going to put it on the streaming sites and everything, but what, what overall do you hope to see out of having put the record out? Man, you know, it's one of those things. I'm just glad to be doing it and having it out there. You know, I, I, I don't like, there was a kind of a little window when I'm like, Oh, I'll try to go for it for LAC. And then I'm like, dude, that's just silly. Like everything we try to create something out of, it's ultimately going to turn to nothing. It's kind of like this. <laughs> you and Buddy Holly's music on a long enough time scale is going to become the same randomness blob. So you might as well, you got to just accomplish it for yourself to say you did it. Um, and I, I, I think for us, the expectations are really low. Not that we're not, you know, embracing anything or if there was anything to happen or, you know, we'd shy away, but it's um, definitely one of those, like I, I at this point, in my life, if I'm going to put something out there creative, I'm like, listen, don't listen. I frankly don't, don't care. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, uh, I think for, like I said, for what's re really gets my rocks off these days is recording and going through that whole process. So like we picked a, a really great studio in town, um, called Hall of Halls to work with. Um, we're really lucky to work with a great engineer, um, Billy Anderson has done, I think for us, kind of the big thing for us was that, Billy said yes, and Billy's done Red House Painters and like has done like their first few releases as well as Old Ramon. That was big for us, you know, but Billy Anderson's also worked with Jawbreaker um, and Melvin's, Melvin's um, fucking, what's that yeah. other like? I think that was really the main motivating thing is, yeah. is that when we were putting this out, like we kind of got together, this guy's wrote some songs, oh, that was cool. And then we were just like, hey, we want to record them. And I think kind of the thing that's been true from the Little American Champ days to now is that we always wanted really kind of the, the nicest recordings we can get in the most premier stuff. And we'd always kind of, you know, within our actual resource level, try to find somebody yeah. who could do that. And it's another really great, really fortunate thing about being in Portland is that there are a lot of great studios right here in town and a lot of great producers and so the fact that, you know, when we reached out to the studio, like, hey, we want to do some time, 
Um, and you know, that studio that we're called hollowed halls that we work at, they kind of have like a set amount of producers they work with. Um, and we didn't really kind of, we were curious to see who they, they would bring up when we reach out and they kind of brought up Billy, uh, even on their own to work with us because he's somebody who generally does more of like a metal and like doom metal kind of genre, but especially back in the nineties kind of did a lot other stuff like John was saying, Red House Painters, job, uh, job uh, stuff like that. So um, to have the ability to work with uh, somebody like that um, is really, yeah, it's kind of such an awesome thing. And it's like, you know, no matter what, no matter what the dumb crowd says or my dumb brain says, this is, it's really cool to have that experience yeah. of recording. No, and Billy's worked with also like, I think there's a certain heaviness to our album too, because of Billy and like I said, his metal background and like, particularly with like a lot of like stoner metal and sludge metal uh, bands like Sleep, uh, bands like High on Fire. Um, there's this sort of like heaviness and like heavy low end um, to this album that I think is a nice contrast with like the really clean guitars and, and sort of what I had in my head. So I think Billy's sort of married like his taste with our taste really well. Um, and, uh, and I think it's something exciting. So it's like, like I said, like for us, it's all about the recording. So we're just hoping people like it. Um, uh, once we release it. I think, I think I noticed in the last couple of years, like it maybe it's something just about having played for so long, but isn't it, and, and you guys are talking about this a little bit too, and like, isn't it interesting how over time you, you tend to start to care more about the sound and the recording more, whereas like, you know, it, at first it's like, oh, shows. I, I just want to play shows. That's all I want to do. I don't care how they sound. I just want to play shows. And yeah. then you kind of start being like, oh no, I actually, maybe I should care about how it sounds. Like maybe I want this to sound good. And it's more important to me to put out something that I like rather than just like write some songs real quick so we can play shows. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. to I absolutely. No, right? 110%. I, was, like, I like, totally yeah. agree. Um, I think that, like I said, that was kind of what I was saying earlier of like, our mind frame is like, we're like a recording first band, like sort of in the sense that like, like we love the studio experience and we love like actually trying to put pen to paper and like getting our ideas out there. Um, and then live performance and everything sort of comes secondary from there. Um, I was sort of listening to a podcast that you did uh, earlier with Scott Nelson, where you guys were talking sort of like the entertainer versus like true musician or artist sort of mindset and like, the way he was explaining it, I try to tend on the art sort of uh, artistic sort of side of things of like, it's really about the creative process. And that's really what gets my goat sort of these days. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, it's one of those, I think, especially in like more of the internet, social media age, like man's priorities got a little fucked up and some people just want to have like a really cool social media following or we'll have really good promo pics yeah. or all of our graphics will be really And that's sweet. cool if that's what and, you want to do. And that stuff is cool yeah, and that's like, a, a great part about being in the band. Uh, um, but I, I think, you know, that it's at the end of the day, it's all about the tunes you're releasing and how good are those. And especially if you have good release tunes, those can really help drive the live shows and some of the other auxiliary stuff you're trying to do. So um, we definitely, and I think that's been one consistent thread between LAC and now is that we've, we've put a preeminence on the recordings and making them the best we can possibly be yeah. within our confines. Well, I, I have a question about shows, but I do want to, I have this other thought that I want to bring up real quick. Uh, isn't it weird how, like when you guys said Billy Anderson, I thought that sounds like somebody that would record bands. 
you know, like that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, like Billy, um, Billy originally too, like Billy has quite a history of himself. Um, he's recorded at Razor's Edge um, in San Francisco. Like I said, Jawbreaker, he's, he's actually had a huge long career. He's toured with the Melvins, Nirvana. Um, so basically like in, particularly like the nineties era and like nineties indie bands and um, like other like kind of alt bands like are hugely influential to me and Alex too. So like, uh, particularly bands like Red House Painters. And so like Billy, like when he was a really young engineer, that was one of his first experiences was working with Red House Painters. So like, that was like huge for us. So like the fact that some guy who recorded like that band was willing to work with us um, was a really, really Special. cool thing for us. Um, and like I said, like he's recorded such a rich a range of things. Um, since that time, like I said, sleep, like we've got from like doom metal to like indie, the whole thing. Like, so he just brings this really broad perspective that I think was awesome for the new record. Right on. Yeah, I just, yeah, there's some names you hear and you're like, oh, that he, that seems perfect for that name. Yeah. <laughs> no, and like you look at like your favorite punk records of like particularly anything West Coast related from the like 1988 to like 1998, like he probably recorded that and probably released it. It's incredible how prolific he is. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to reach out to him and see if he wants to do the podcast. <laughs> you should. All right, well, you guys will just like, if you guys do it at Hollywood Halls, you can just stay at our place. Yeah. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what you guys want, like, so obviously we're in COVID time, so that's, it's, there's a TBD sort of to when shows are going to be allowed again. But is, is that, I mean, you know, it, obviously recording first, but is that something you want to try to push? Like, are you going to sort of stick within the region or do you see yourselves maybe taking it out on the road at all really in the future? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't see myself doing any sort of expanded touring or whatever. <laughs> like, again, my impression when I release something is that no, no one cares and, that, and which is fine. Um, but you will definitely be wanting to play local shows and kind of, uh you know maybe do some regional stuff be it seattle or something in california or whatever but um that for me i i think it's one of those things because it's like hey i released it nobody cares or anything but even if nobody cares i think you still it's still incumbent upon a musician to get out there and perform live yeah, live performance is still fun and live performance really, i yeah. think is still a really kind of vital thing and i think especially coming out of covid I think it's going to be, you know, one, it's either going to be completely decimated, no one comes out or ever gives a shit, or it's going to kind of come back in a big way and people are going to kind of see the value in having a live kind of performance. So I feel like it's going to be kind of boom or bust, but either way, I think we're going to be there trying to play shows, if only locally, because, it, you know, at the same time, while I've got to work this around my job and all this other stuff, and we're mainly a recording band, that's what's the most important there is there is something that is um, very very essential about having yeah. a live performance as a band and being vulnerable in front of an audience. And like like there's not too many things I'm good at, Danny. Like I tried golf because I needed something. I suck at golf. Oh, like I suck so really fucking bad. bad, you know. But I love sports and I always needed something. So it was like 
particularly as I'm like toiling away on my shitty golf game, I'm like fucking still playing, I have a guitar in my hands and I'm like, I think I'm like slightly better at this and get a little bit more gratification out of this. Yeah, um, no, it's like definitely, yeah. and, we, I, and we aren't natural musicians, but we're definitely more natural at that than golf. So it, it's <laughs> like, I, I like a, a musician's a thing, like you put time in, eventually you will get better over time and like have tangible results. Golf. It's not the same There's thing. There's no promise. You could get sucky get better over time. Okay, you so. can still stay shitty forever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think I'm going to start into, well, I do a lightning round when we're going to start sort of gearing down. And it's very, cool. it's all sort of improv. I, I have like one question ahead of time and then I sort of just whatever comes to mind after that. Um, and they can be, it doesn't have to be short answers. It can be long form. It doesn't really matter. It's, and we're kind of long winded. We're going to keep it brief, right? Al, we're going to yeah, keep it brief. No, we're going to three words. Fucking be brief. Well, yeah. We're going to do three words. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, well, first, what's your favorite little American champ moment that you've had? Oh my gosh. Mm. All right, Al, go first. I don't know. I'll let you kind of. Man, shit. Uh, um, my favorite little you know, American show. The shows I think of often, like, rarely are the shows where we played for some big touring act, yeah. you know, and we sold a bunch of pre-sales. Like, that, that's a really good and, point. Right. Yeah. Uh, on that, you know what I think is that play, we played a show with um, O Pioneers once. Yeah, that nearly got a canceled from a snowstorm. And I think there was a snowstorm the day prior or whatever. And they basically had driven through i think it was them in junior battles at that show yeah i could have been junior i could be on junior battles and they they kind of drove through the night and like both john and i have always been big old pioneers fans um and to have those guys like we played we opened up for them um and like you know i'm not trying to like especially on a touring band like i'd like to like get to introduce myself and talk to them but like i don't want to bother people or anything like that but um, I know Eric, who's kind of the main guy in O Pioneers, kind of came up after that and said, like, hey, man, you guys are really good. I really enjoyed your band. Like, that was great. And it's yeah. just little stuff like that. And I, yep. you know what? I don't even give a shit if he meant it or not, um, because it was something that, you know, he if he truly didn't give a shit or whatever, he wouldn't even have said that. And it's stuff like that. It's stuff like when we played, uh, like, I think our first Grand Rapids show, we played it with. Uh, blank states which had a uh, at least one former member from North Lincoln and kind of when we started Little American Champ like North Lincoln was a really kind of inspiring kind of band because it was like from Michigan type of band that was on no idea they like could kind really of show, fucking good like them and cheap know? girls kind of showed like you know it could be done like you could kind of even if it's in our marginal some uh, punk subculture you could kind of break through um and that to have um you know kevin from north lincoln say that he liked some of our songs uh and kind of really he's even said like one of our songs he really emphasized how much he liked it like just kind of having that and kind of that affirmation um from other musicians was that was my favorite part at least yeah no like for me it was like i was saying it wasn't necessarily playing with any like most often the best shows and we were talking about this earlier danny wasn't like you know some big touring act or something and sometimes it was but it was also like those local shows like where you would play with all local bands but it was a lineup of really nice local bands that people liked going out to see and you would get a nice collection of people from like each band that would come along and it was just a fun sort of atmosphere like 
I think about that stuff a lot. And like, it's going to be a little different here in Portland, Danny. Like it's a little bit more of a disparate scene, you know, like we were saying, like a lot of transplants and stuff. Yeah. So it's not like this tight knit thing that we kind of had, you know, back in, uh, back in Michigan. So, um, but yeah, like those are the kind of the things I miss, um, miss in LAC is, uh, I miss hanging out with the other bands. I miss, um, being able to, uh, even just broadly being able to play in front of people, but uh, I know we're already getting over on the lightning round, so let's let's yeah, move on let's to the next, next question. We next fucked question. up. We fought, We were no, way too long. We'll be more. We'll yeah. be more concise. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, and then I got another question here. Well, it's a two-parter. What was your favorite experience? And I'm asking this because most of the people that listen to this are from Muskegon. Uh, what was your favorite <laughs> in Muskegon in the times that you guys came out to play or? Just to, just to sort of, what was, well, I guess a better question is, what was your opinion of Muskegon? Like, how, how <laughs> it was high. No, no, <laughs> uh, like, I, I think Muskegon was, was God. a really cool place. And that, I think a place that I had never really been or spent much time. I think anytime I was driving up in that kind of area, I was driving to go to like Boeing or to go to Traverse City or something like that. Um, but I, I think the definitely one of my first memories is playing at Temple House, which for people who may not know, is just like a gigantic house kind of filled with all these different sublet apartments kind of thing. There was, I don't know what, because I know you live there, Danny, how many people were living there generally at the, at a time? Uh, there, there were, there were six apartments. Well, five apartments and one was a hostel. So it could have been anybody in the hostel. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, and there was these death defying no. stairs to load your gear. In yes. Cause you played yeah. in, of course the base. Yeah. And your snows would be like covered in shoes or I mean, your shoes would be covered in snow as you're trying to like go up and down the stairs. And yeah, it was always, I always felt like it was going to be like a great white type. There's going to be a fire, tragic fire, or something was gonna happen. I felt like I was gonna die basically anytime I was there. So that's kind of my main memory. Yeah, no, I think about Temple House often because I, I think about like, you know, because as a DIY venue, like outside of those DIY venues, Danny, there's not a lot of places to play in Muskegon, is there? You know, unless you're willing to do it yourself, you know? I know in Muskegon, Danny, we played a show with you at this one gigantic place that we <laughs> that we put like probably put like 30 people in. Do you remember the name of that giant it was like a nightclub that had like a little oh, side yeah. stage it had it this was like little, a lot like, of guys who looked like they were yeah. into mma who were like going there yes no and there was like a vip room just off the stage do you remember what that club was called i, I was, i'm guessing what you're talking about was club envy because that i feel like that was a show oh, I, I think it was and it was like it had like a weird like sort of laser tag vibe i remember yeah inside. i remember it, was, it felt weird that i was playing this like gigantic laser tag venue in Michigan. yes <laughs> exactly um but yeah, yeah i think about that so i think good. about temple house a lot too i think Muskegon, about um I, hey what was the name of that shit i can't believe i forgot it the name of what? the fest you used to throw in oh, Muskegon. Fest Fest? Yeah, Fest Fest. Oh, that's yeah, why no you wonder. couldn't think of the yeah. name. Yeah, it's just, no, Fest Fest, that's another thing that I always thought was very fun because it's like certainly not a place that you would think like Muskegon, Michigan, like it's not the well, cultural epicenter and it was of the all, world. It was all Danny Bruick because you but were such yeah, a self-starter. You booked all the bands Danny. and yeah. you would even get some bands with some decent clout. I was like, how the fuck is this guy getting these bands to come to Muskegon? I thought you had like some rich parents getting yeah, money. Yeah, where's the drive? I know money? that's, uh, that's yeah. the opposite of the case, but it's, 
like it, it was, I think that's the thing is I always, with, with the Muskegon, I associate with your enterprising attitude. And I think that's the thing I yeah. always admired about you, Mike Danny, was that you were like, all right, nobody else is doing it. I'll fucking do it. Somebody doesn't get like, people don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. I'm still doing it. Like yeah, that, that attitude, I, I think I've always found personally. Yeah, like if you want to ask about Muskegon, Danny, like a person we think about a lot is like you, frankly, really. Yeah, you're, you're literally the main. The yeah, you one are person. like the main person. Yeah, like <laughs> uh, you and you, like your associated bands and everything. So it was just really like, I don't know if we would have thought about Muskegon if it wasn't much for you. And like, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize, particularly if you're in a smaller town or something, like if you're into something and you're a good self-starter, like you can make something. You know, like I said, Danny was in a pretty, you know, I'm talking about you in the third person, like you're not here. Yeah. But like you've made Dead something. Danny. Yeah. No, you've made something that is pretty fucking cool in a place where it's really hard to be a self-starter. So we think about you, bro. This yeah, is dude, to you. Cheers to you, man. Yeah. It was honestly, so like, this is last jerk off thing, but just always thanks for like, you know, including us and everything, because it, it, it's always stuff that memories all look back on fondly. And uh, I hope you're proud of the stuff like you did and will do because, um, you know, at least from afar, we've always liked it. Hell yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys saying that. Yeah, I, I do feel uh, proud for the things I was able to accomplish in that time, especially in, and it's unfortunate that if you guys did play that year of Fest Fest, correct? that i believe we did because yes. yeah. it was some place that was I, I forgot it was like what. a vfw hall or something in downtown muskegon i know there was a gigantic it was shipyard downtown muskegon wasn't it yeah. yeah and and that lineup was arguably probably the best lineup that i had ever put together for that dude so many good bands that you booked i was like blown away that you had booked all these good bands and, and it was unfortunate it was the same weekend as electric forest and so there was no winning in that oh yeah oh dude fuck those hippies you know we could have never converted them anyways there wasn't that much overlap after yeah. all you know <laughs> those kids were gonna drop e and go to electric force i was anyways. about to say they, they were, were gonna, gonna be gonna too fucked them. up by the time your band took the stage danny it's okay <laughs> they weren't gonna be able to sing yeah, along the they're... lyrics to deathbed and to all you pod listeners god if you're yeah, still listening they're... to this point go to it's a secret band camp if it's still live and listen mm -hmm. to deathbed and tell me you don't get a little pumped up yeah okay everybody does hell yeah no i think i use I, I think there's maybe some truth to that but i think i tend to fall on the electric forest excuse to make it seem like understandable <laughs> that that was not necessarily the, the highest attended year um yeah i do have a tendency to i think i fall back on that a little bit with that one maybe but uh but yeah, I, I was, I was badass anyway. But uh, lightning round, Dan, was there anything else you wanted to ask us? Oh, yes. Um, where, where, and I'm, I'm asking this just because I want to see if you say the place that I'm thinking of. Where was your favorite place to eat in Lansing? Oh, man. Uh, frankly, I'm probably not going to say the place. You I, it's probably not because the thing, John and I, we lived there for what, John, like seven years or something, if you include the time. Seven or eight years. Yeah. So it's like, I have a lot of places. I, I think for yes. me, if I was going to pick a place, I would I would probably pick the Lucas because they had pizza uh, and their pizza is fucking awesome. And they're still there, like totally Cosmic local family pizza. owned. Yeah. Like, I think they they were good. Or I do Soup Spoon Cafe that had really good Is sandwiches. Is that still open? Just good. I don't know. I With sure COVID, so. you don't fucking know the roster of, of anything. But 
I think what right. I what I think you're thinking of though is Theo's across the street, the old diner. Like that was <laughs> yeah. yeah I just smiles. Like, Man, I used to get the eggs Louie from there, which is like hash browns with like a little bit of peppers and onions, and then two eggs and this most revolting artificial cheese sauce you could think of on top. Oh, baby, you put that with some Tabasco yeah. or a little Frank's Red Hot. Yeah, you like, remember, uh, Danny? Like the setup was good in Lansing. Like you would have your show and then everyone would go to Theo's afterwards. Um, and, and it was the have... adjacent parking lots. You're right yeah. there. It's like, yeah, a, no, like it's like a yeah, 30 Danny, second walk. To for the those restaurant. who like pretty much everyone who's listening to this has probably already been there and done this whole thing. I don't know if Theo's is still there. It may have closed. No, they, I think they tore it down. Like which is the building, which is horribly. Did they tear it down on it? When's the last time I know you were in Lansing? There's no Theo's. I, I don't know if they tore it down, but I know they've since closed it since the last time I which went is, to Max Bar. Which is horrifying. Because, yeah, yeah no, we That's would have our awesome shows and then we go to Theo's and like that was basically, as you know, Danny, that was the after party very often for a lot of these shows was at Theo's, you would get food and then you would go probably to somebody's house and party after that. But um, but yeah, no, Theo's definitely the standby for Max, but there was also some other really great places to eat, Thai Village downtown because now like oh. we lived there so like you're gonna get me talking um, about Thai taco village. cart taco cart uh l oasis yeah uh, oasis taco also known as taco cart which still you know i've come the all the way out here to the west coast in search of that yes i the mexican food not as good as taco cart i swear to god like they're you're not missing anything. their vegetarian burrito with the uh stuffed poblano pepper in there fucking forget about it the best yeah. Do, have you got i don't know i don't remember what they're called but i the time that i did spend in portland i my uh well you you guys know who Corey is i, I was gonna say my friend Corey, like you guys didn't know who he was but uh cory bigford uh he brought me to this it was I, I don't it was like a whole block of a street that was just they weren't food trucks but they were sort of like food shanties i guess in a weird way like they were just these oh yeah like this one street of all these just small restaurants in there. And uh, I can't remember what it was called, but I got tacos from there and it was the closest of any place that reminded me of El Oasis, like the, the yeah. food that I got from there. But the it's funny you mentioned Theo's and El Oasis because those were the two places I was thinking of when I. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, like, yeah, we know all the joints and everything, but there was like, there was a few, there wasn't like several many great places to eat. So like, there's only a few and if you also like late night food after a show, then that really limited your options. So to like mm -hmm. Theo's. So there you go. Now I got two more lightning rounds. One I've asked, I've been asking this one lately. It's just sort of become a routine in the lightning round. Uh, Sheets or Wawa? Yeah, so I, I can't remember because the uh, the touring that we did, I, I know we went to one of those places. I think it was. A I think Sheets. it was a Sheets because is Sheets yeah. the more midwest Midwest based one? Or is it in the Wawa's the East Coast or is it vice versa? Yeah, I, think, I think she sort of blends maybe into both. I don't know specifically where Wawa yeah. is entirely, but I think Sheets is primarily like when you get into more of like Ohio. What's the place where you can get like fries on your sandwich? That is Sheets. Yeah, that's Sheets. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. so that's where we, we went. did that. And it's like a little kiosk, right? And you like order your thing on there and they make your All right, so that was out. the place. That was the place. That was I don't the know place. if I've been to the other place, but that was the place because you can get French fries on your sub or on your sandwich. Like who doesn't? No, it was that? so good. And it was usually in like some rural town and you can act kind of homoerotic to kind of like get the vibe God. up, get some good reactions. This is some real like Midwest regional touring if you're asking Sheets or Wawa. <laughs> yeah, so this is a No, but a lot of story mans, I'll even see that like on, uh, like social media and stuff like you're talking about Danny like they talk about that that sheet and so I, I can't say that we have enough experience to have a super definitive opinion but I had sheets one time and I thought it was pretty good yeah I thought it was pretty good I think I had it at a time where I the the concept of it was really new to me I'd never been to a place it's because it's nothing special if we're being completely honest right well oh, they, no it yeah. sucks that's because you're on the road about if it, you're eating like, oh, there you're on the road yeah. right you need and, something I think that sort of helped me romanticize it in a way where like it's this big experience now when I do go to a sheets and I've been, I've been to Wawa too, but I think there's, I, I remember the one time specifically, and we've already talked about how my, the bands that I'm in were a little bit more introverted. And I remember we were, I don't remember where we were. It was somewhere in Ohio, but I woke up after we had stopped in the van and I woke up and I, the first thing I saw was the sheets sign. And I immediately had this, this loud reaction to it where I just said, fuck yeah, sheets. But I said it like the loudest I've ever said anything in my entire life. And yeah, it was like, wow, Danny's getting laid. Yeah, no, and everyone was alarmed. Yeah, baby sheets. Uh. But yeah, and that's, I think about that sometimes is like, I feel like there's, that's weird that I like that place enough to shout the loudest i've ever shouted in my entire life but dad there's something about it like you said it's nothing it's nothing you'd ever go out of your way for to get you know you'd never drive just to get sheets but that also shows the kind of crap you were probably eating on the road that you're really looking forward yeah, to. <laughs> yeah no it, i think there was probably some truth to whether it wasn't if it wasn't taco bell it was automatically better in the most yeah well yeah and like when you play punk if 50 of the bands either going to be vegetarian or vegan so you've got to find something that's going to work for everyone and like taco bell if that sheets is going to be that option yeah yeah um and then i guess the last question in this lightning round what was your favorite and i guess we might have talked about it a little bit with the muskegon stuff but what was your favorite little american champ it's a secret moment Oh my gosh. Wow. Shit. Well, there were so many several, there was really several so many iterations. That and I think together. we played, I think one to two like weekend runs together. Um, I don't know. Like the only thing that comes to mind for me is I remember like, I, I'm not like a, unlike you, Danny, I'm not like a prolific booker or anything like that. Um, but I remember we were like setting up shows and you're like, Hey, we're trying to get like a Lansing show or whatever. And it was like, yep, I'll hook it up for those guys. Like they've, you know, like he's took me up with many shows before. They're nice guys. Like, absolutely. We managed to throw something together. And, um, you know, we went and we were hanging out there. And I just remember you guys being like sincerely like appreciative. Like, hey, you got us a show. Like you're really nice. at the Avenue. If we yeah. want to drop any other Lansing. It might have been at, at the, the Avenue. Avenue. It could have yeah. been Avenue or Max. I can't remember. But um, I think that was the thing I always liked about you guys is you were like, earnestly like appreciative of stuff and earnestly like uh excited or enthusiastic to like do stuff you know e even in your own introverted way um but 
Um, I think that's what I liked about you guys the most is that it didn't kind of the two, like we talked about earlier, like no weird competitive vibes or like passive aggressive vibes and sincerely just glad that somebody wanted to either book a show or give you a place or whatever. Like I think kind of the best, most innocent parts of being a musician, I think were kind of the, the times that I would share with you guys and that you'd, even though I can be cynical, sometimes you'd reinforce that kind of goodness in me interacting with you guys. Nice. Yeah, no, I think for me, like, um, favorite, it, like, it really, like, there's a couple of uh, Temple House shows that stick out, you know, and there was this one, and I can't even remember, like, name of the other bands. We played with you guys. Um, we played with Alaska. We played with some other band. But, like, every once in a while, you could go to Temple House and you could get a nice little decent turnout for that basement show, right? And, like, so, you know, I remember those shows fondly. Um, I remember also bringing, bringing you guys out to Lansing fondly too. And, um, and the thing that I always like, like I said, we always enjoyed playing with you guys because we felt like you guys also like were very purposeful about how you made your songs. And like, we do this pop punk thing, but we do it in a way that actually sounds good. And we try to make good songs. So like for us, that's big. Um, and uh, so like, I don't know. I think about those Temple House shows often um, fondly and uh and think about you guys often following because uh, I feel like you guys were also somebody who kind of like got the vibe of our band and sort of in you, Danny, also got the vision of what we were going for and like kind of our personalities and stuff. And I feel like not a lot of people did. So it was it was fun and it was fun for us to connect on that. No, for sure. And the thing that there was never any legitimately, there was never any reciprocity expected. Like there is from somebody like you, Danny, like you were going to book a show and you could you know, I could be a part of it. I couldn't, or maybe you try to get a show booked and I could book it for you or I couldn't, but you were always down to collaborate and down for whatever. And there was no reciprocity. Like, I feel like in a lot of bands, there's like a fake reciprocity, like, Hey, I'll do a, but you should probably do B if you're going to do that. Yeah, no, it was not and that I way. I think you were definitely you and it's a secret really embodiment of selflessness and like, hey, we're just looking to have a good time and like play some good shows and like, you know, play some good tunes and listen to some good tunes. So that it, that's in yeah. now an absolute future, then in Little American Champ, that's all I'm looking to get. Yeah, like you, yeah, you, Jordan, Jay, Zach, like everybody was such a cool person. And like, you guys are really unassuming and you guys kind of felt like us in the way of like, yeah, we're not trying to like, like we want to be good, but we're also at the same time, like, you know, we're not going to necessarily be, you know, this like clean representation of what everybody wants, right? There's no this delusions moment. of grandeur. Anything. Yeah, but you guys also were into like having fun and like into the process of being a band. So like, I always really appreciated that about you guys. And it always made me want to play more shows. So let me know when you guys need a Portland gig for Tim or Hexing or whoever. <laughs> yeah. Just let me know. Whoever. Oh, I really hope that happens someday. I would love to. <laughs> yeah. No, it's kind of hard to break free out over here. So there's a yeah, lot of uh, a lot knows. of distance, a lot of miles, a lot of kilometers, if you will. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, we can probably start winding down a little bit. Uh, I think we're definitely about the two hour mark. This might be one of the longer ones I've ever. I knew heard. we were going to be so yeah, long winded. Yeah. But just yeah, thanks it. for having us, man. Like, yeah. really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Where can people hear or find Absolute Future on the internet? Um, Absolutefuture.bandcamp.com. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be, be absolutefuture.bandcamp.com is where we're going to be releasing our new album. Um, and then Absolute Future PDX is going to be our Gmail. We'll have some stuff up on Twitter, Facebook, 
um, that's going to coalesce with the uh, with the new release. So um, we're excited about it, and um, I'm really glad you gave me this opportunity, Danny. So we could sort of discuss it and uh, in this kind of public way. So because it's sort of our first time, and we've really been trying to keep shit on the wraps. So um, pumped about it and appreciate the opportunity. It's a secret. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, now, the closing question that I do is more so like for you guys to say something that you like give your give yourselves a piece of advice. So if you ever decide to listen back to this in the future, it's something that would be useful to you in the future. Like, so to close out, I'm going to let you guys just sort of say something that you think you'll need to hear. or Maybe, maybe that you just maybe need to hear right now, even that. You, you can come back and listen to this and hear it. I'll let you take um, I think for me, the thing I think of is um, live in the moment. Um, there's so many times, particularly with uh, the global pandemic we're going through right now, where I think people feel really stressed out and, and not that they don't necessarily need to, but that you need to, um, at least for me, and I'm going to talk to myself and, and retrain my mind. So I think it's, it's also like live in the moment um, and cause so often what you know of as the great times or what existed as the, as the good times, when you were living those times, didn't actually feel so good or you don't quite kind of realize it. And then you look back on it later on. You're like, man, that's the good time. So it's like, if you're in the fucking good times, try to recognize it as best you can in the moment and live in that time because you'll, you won't get it back. And there'll definitely be shitty times. Those always will be coming, but stay present, be in the moment and live in the time that you're in. I don't know. Sounds pretty simple. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And just kind of building off that, just saying like, um, I think believing in the goodness of people as, as corny as that sounds, is like, don't think people are out to get you or whatever. And I've tried to internalize this because maybe it goes against some of my natural uh, inclinations, but um, just believe in people and believe in, um, you know, I, I think especially one thing I'm trying to is believe in that there can be a future and that we can do stuff better because I'm a very cynical person that generally thinks things are getting worse, not better. And I think that um, that can be a limiting belief in a lot of respects. So it's very, very important to think um, stuff's going to get better. And especially through COVID that music can come back and that we can have live music experiences again, and especially um, venues that people want to attend and people want to be a part of it. Like I said, I think it's either going to be a boom or a bust. People won't care at all and we'll just stream everything or, you know, people are going to come back in a big way. And I'm trying to believe in the latter. Right. Yeah, I think to, to add on to that a little bit, I think I hope, well, what I hope is that when it does come back and we get to whatever normal is normal at the, when it, in the future, that I think, and to sort of pick on what you said as well, Johnny, uh, like keeping that interest over time instead of kind of sinking back into where we were before COVID, where we, you know, we could do anything at any time and we would wait for that better thing to come up you know and then when we get yeah. to that better thing yeah it's it's less of an appreciation and more of a hierarchy that you're doing that cooler thing whereas like i hope when people just come back to shows and they start enjoying life again that they enjoy it longer than just that initial oh we're all hey isn't this great we're all in the same room again we're all back together we're we're doing this like old times 
And instead of that wearing off in a month, I hope people can maintain that feeling and have it stay special rather than only it being special in that initial boom. You know what I mean? No, I, um, I totally agree because I think that's kind of the whole crux of it is that like, like I was saying before, you don't realize the good times when you're in them, you know, like you don't realize how good life was before COVID until you're in COVID, you know? So um, I totally agree with you there. And it, it, it's a very evasive thing, but you've got to, you know, those good feelings and in, in those few moments of happiness, you've got to hold on. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, shit. I feel like th that was pretty good. That was a good way to end it. So let's call it here. And uh, thank you guys for doing this. Dude, thank you so much, Danny. And uh, let's, I'm going to try to make it out to Michigan sometime in 2021. So I'll let you know, and hopefully we can hook up at least get a meal somewhere that's easy, like Lansing or something. But um, I, I very appreciate it for you for doing this. All the shows you played over the years, all the favors and everything. Uh, you just, you're a very like selfless, generous person. And uh, I, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Oh, thank you're a good you. man, Charlie Brown. Shoot. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh.